Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Shore Sports Network football podcast. A absolutely incredible week eight. So, so much drama, high stakes, insane performances, you know, crazy endings. It really had it all. Uh, and we turned the page from that right into the playoffs. We won't do all of that in one podcast because we don't want to be here for seven hours, nor do we feel like anyone wants to listen to us for that many consecutive hours. Sorry. We'll come back later in the week and we'll break down the playoff matches, uh, matchups, excuse me, heading into this weekend. Uh, over 20 short conference teams made the postseason. So we'll break that all down uh, on the website on shortsportsnetwork.com. Uh, and also we'll check back with a podcast later in the week. But this one is going to be about the week eight recap. And man, was it a doozy, Scott? It was, uh, it lived up to the hype, certainly in the marquee game, which we'll touch on first, but in really in a lot of these games. You know, you looked ahead and saw some potential drama, and it was there. And now that's how you end a regular season. I mean, <laughs> you and I always talk on Friday nights, like after the games. We probably could have talked for like three hours and just like got no work done because it was absolutely insane. So many of the game between the game I was at and the game you were at, and some of the other finishes and the implications of all of these games. Teams getting bumped out of the playoffs. Teams hopping in at the last minute. Um, yeah, unbelievable. We go, but obviously we have to start in a clear place. The game you were at, I was, you know, I, I couldn't really follow along because I was in the middle of a monsoon um, in my game in Brick. But just to read the recaps, like read the game story, see the highlights. I mean, RBC, Tom's River North, one for the ages. It was an all-timer. You know, one of the best games I've ever covered. And, uh, and I've been fortunate to see some incredible ones throughout the years. Red Bank Catholic 35, Tom's North 28 in overtime. The matchup that many in the shore had waited over a calendar year to see, really probably ever since midseason last year, when it was clear that North wasn't just good, that they were historically good. And, of course, last season went on to win the inaugural Group 5 championship, Red Bank Catholic being, again, one of the best teams in the state last season and this year. So when North got moved up to the American division, as we all anticipated, you know, this was the game just because they hadn't played. You know, we've seen North and Rumps, we've seen North and Donovan, we've seen those matchups, haven't seen RBC, Toms River North. And it not only did it match the hype, it over delivered. You know, there were so many crazy plays in this game from Toms North going up early to Micah Ford getting injured again and having to come out of the game to TJ Valeria, the junior quarterback for Toms North, playing awesome, counting for three touchdowns, giving Toms North the lead in the fourth quarter. And then RBC, you know, it, in San Francisco, they call it the drive. They're going to have to think of a different name. Brady uh, mode. Down, yeah, Brady mode. I don't know. I can't refer to it as that, as you can understand. <laughs> Too many scars as a Jets fan. But RBC went 86 yards with no timeouts left and a minute and 42 on the clock to tie the game. Their junior quarterback, Frankie Williams, was incredible, making massive plays down the stretch. He had 415 yards of offense. 20 of 30, 315, three touchdowns, 100 yards rushing, and Emmanuel Ross, their superstar wide receiver. We talked about what are the big players going to do in the big game, and he was, you know, as good as you could have hoped for if you're a Red Bank Catholic and as well as I've ever seen him play. Eight catches, 173 yards, career highs in both, three touchdowns. He had the go-ahead touchdown catch in overtime, an outstanding catch in the back of the end zone where he somehow kept two feet in bounds. And then uh, RBC stopped North on their overtime possession. And 
you know, a giant exhale from everyone on that sideline and just an, an incredible game. And just from the injury to Ford, Tom's North rallying, uh, you know, the comeback, the drive, it just, it, there were so many, like, I felt like that game story could have been 7,000 words. Just could have kept getting into detail about every little thing. It was other than the rain making, keeping stats impossible and making, as you know, the phone getting all weird and you can't record anything other than that, you could not have asked for anything better. That will go down as an all-time drive in RBC history. Um, <clears throat> Ross, he's the best player I've seen on any team this year, straight up. And honestly, I'm including Bergen Catholic in that conversation. Ross is the best player I've seen in any game this year. And I know there's a lot of really tremendous players in the shore, but you want to talk about a guy that raises it up a whole other notch when the stakes are at their highest. Um, first of all, the fact that he put up those kind of numbers against a really good Tom's River North secondary is amazing. Uh, and second of all, yeah, a hundred, I mean, you're talking, he might have an, depending on how many games RBC plays, he might have an outside shot at a thousand yard se uh, receiving season. He's yeah. putting up like 150 almost every week here the last couple of weeks. As the games have gotten bigger down the stretch, he's just played better and better. But the thing is, to me, we knew about him. The real I won't say revelation. I felt like this was his real chance to finally show the full breadth of his game. And that's Frankie Williams, like the running ability under pressure, the ability to extend plays and looking at your highlights and your photos and your game story, the pinpoint passing where like Ross had people draped on him where the ball could only be in a little specific window. And he put it there. Williams was awesome. And you hit the nail on the head. You're Emmanuel Ross. It was, extremely impressive to watch but you knew that he had that in him so it didn't it wowed you more than it surprised you and not to say that frankie williams performance surprised me but it was certainly an eye-opening like wow this is how good this player can be this kid in a game of this magnitude against a, a great defense to play that kind of game the stats tell one part of it but watching him do it on every drive especially that that go ahead or the game time drive in the fourth quarter he just made some some great throws and then timely runs, smart runs, like knew when to take what was there, when to get out of bounds. There was a fourth and one play that RBC obviously had to have. Tom's North busted through with two guys. He's able to spin out, look to the opposite flat. Hits Matt Lonzak. They get the first down. You know, the throw to Ross down to the one-yard line with two seconds left. And Emmanuel Ross even said it after the game. He was such a fantastic catch by Ross, being blanketed by Tariq Council you know, one of the best cornerbacks in the shore and in the state. And Frankie, you know, threw him away from coverage, Emmanuel was saying. And it was just a great throw. And it was extremely impressive to watch him operate that with such poise, super calm, even after the game. He was excited about the win, but like eerily calm and how I was talking to us. And it was really impressive to see his physical performance and just mentally the way he handled such a massive situation. And that's the kind of film he has an offer from Maryland. He has interest from Duke and I think in Virginia tech, but to me, that's the kind of film that might start like nudging your offers mm -hmm. up a little bit, given the level of competition and just some of the stuff he put on tape in that game. Just unbelievable. Like I texted you, that's some Mahomes stuff. Like some of those mm -hmm. plays that he made near the end where it was almost total improvisation under heavy pressure and uh, making it happen. See, normally RBC's, offensive line and the running game is so dominant against most teams. He doesn't have to do that. 
mm-hmm. know, but Tom's River North is good enough that you have you can't be one dimensional really and beat them. So, you know, he had to raise his game and, and that late in the game, you're not really running the ball when you have no timeouts and a minute mm-hmm. and change left. You got to throw it down the field in a hurry up. Um, so that was, yeah, a really, really impressive thing by him. And, you know, we can get in this maybe as part of our playoff preview, but we have to talk about the fact that it also set up the monster one versus two showdown for the American division title and most likely the final number one ranking in the short conference this week. Donovan Catholic against RVC. Yeah, that's the other piece of this. As massive as a game that was, the game this Friday is bigger because there are tangible, you know, stakes on the line. You know, it, number one Donovan Catholic will visit number two RBC Friday night at Count Basie Field. So you have the American Division title on the line, and with that, you know, the number. One, I don't think it's a mystery. Whoever wins that game is going to be the number one team in the short when it's all said and done and not to take any drama out of our rankings, but you know, they're in separate state brackets. So you can't compare those two, especially considering Donovan. It, that's a much tougher road in non-public a with Bergen Catholic, St. Joe's Montvale, you know, a Del Barton team. That's now ranked top yeah, five. That they they so, took it to uh, DePaul this past yeah, weekend. Del Barton. Which DePaul is the, uh, the challenger really, you know, DePaul is the defending champion, but RBC and DePaul are really the leaders in that bracket in non-public B. So you know, not an easy bracket for RBC, but you can't deny that it's a much more difficult bracket, non-public A. So RBC goes and wins. Like, it doesn't. It happened in the past, too. Like, let's just say for argument's sake, for the sake of this, Donovan wins the game on Friday, but then loses the first round, and RBC goes on to win. Like, you can't say, well, RBC won a state title. They're number one. It, it's not, you're not comparing the same thing. So this is the game that will decide it. They've played some classics, you know, in the past couple years, and no, there's a good chance we're going to have another one of those on a Friday night. It should be fun. And the other takeaway for me is if Michael Ford, if this injury is lingering again and it's going to be an issue at least early in the state playoffs for them, TJ Valerio, you can put him right in there and you're fine. That was the other you know, big thing that came out of this game. I mean, Michael Ford, he started the game. You know, he had missed for context. Got hurt against Donovan, I believe September 19th, so middle September. Misses three games, comes back, plays about 15 snaps uh, against Tom's River South in a blowout win. So knocks a little bit of rust off, starts. Tom's River goes for it on fourth and one at their own 24 yard line. And it's kind of like the, the Eagles last night. You're like, fourth and one, like they're going to get it. And North, even though it's RBC, like I, they felt pretty confident. Uh, and Micah Ford broke like multiple tackles at the line of scrimmage, then at the second level, gone 76 yard touchdown run. And you're like, okay, he looks pretty good. And then later in the game, Logan Graham, uh, RBC's outstanding defensive line, burst in for a sack. Ford stayed down on the field, limped off. It looked bad at first. Like, uh uh-oh, like, is this, how serious is this? Was on the sideline, you know, walking around. Started it, you know, being down on the sideline, you kind of could notice some things. He looked like he was, you know, timing to go back in for the third quarter. They, the coaching staff wasn't having any of that. Um, you know, obviously the playoffs are, is their big focus now. But TJ Valerio, you know, he came in and he played with toughness, uh, showcased his talent. You know, he ran for a touchdown, threw for two touchdowns, and two awesome passes to put it up in the air for Cam Thomas to go up and bring it down. And then an awesome touch pass to Nasir Jackson over Emmanuel Ross, who was in coverage and right in front of the safety 
in the back corner of the end zone. That gave Tom's River North a 28-21 lead with 7-21 to play. And what, what was really impressive about Valeria was that style of offense is a little bit unique for North, uh, especially the way they run the ball with Micah Ford at quarterback. It's a very, it's a very much a power running game with him downhill. So you're never going to plug and play with when Ford's out, but can you still run that same type of offense? And they could with Valeria because he got a lot of tough yards up the middle. He was not afraid to put his head in there, you know, and put it down when you have, you know, guys like Davin Bruton running downhill at you. So he was extremely impressive. You know, his stats weren't incredible when, when all said and done, he took some sacks for some lost yardage, but he was up around 80 yards rushing plus the touchdown passes really impressed with him. And if Ford has to be out a little bit, they're in, very capable hands. And the last thing from this game before we move on to the other crazy drama, uh, I, I feel like sometimes Logan Graham gets a little bit overlooked on RBC because they got so many other big stars. But looking at the highlights of that game, he played awesome. Yeah, he was in the backfield multiple times. And, you know, RBC had that the one sack on Ford that forced him out of the game. But Tom's over Norris' line, second quarter, really that third quarter and into the fourth quarter, was getting a groove, and they were really pushing RBC off the ball. Uh, and Tomsworth wasn't throwing the ball too much. When they did, Valeria had a lot of time. But on that last drive in overtime, they burst through. Graham had a sack. Lorenzo Portella had a sack. And then it was fourth and 20-something. Uh, and that was the game right there. So, yeah, Logan Graham, really impressive. He had a good year as a junior last year. And just like his you know, running mate there on the line, Lorenzo Portella, they've had really good senior seasons on the defensive side. So, just an incredible game. You know, felt really fortunate to be there uh, and just watch it. And those those are the games you remember for a while. You know, certainly the players on the field will, and I will as well covering it. Yeah, and speaking of remembering it for a while, oh. I was up to my ankles in the mud over there at uh, Brick Memorial, but it was worth it. Oh, my goodness, what an ending. <laughs> I, I haven't heard a crowd go that absolutely bananas at the end of a game in a long time. So the whole deal was, Brick was winning 14-13 and looked like they had it. Like, this is going to be a major upset. They're going to hand Brick Memorial their first loss. They might get themselves in the playoffs with the win. There's like a minute left. Brick Memorial still has three timeouts remaining, so they couldn't totally just necessarily take a knee. Mm -hmm. um, so they snapped the ball out of the shotgun. They kind of run like a counter with another back coming across. And then Jake Toy, who's lined up at quarterback, he's normally, you know, like their H-back or whatever. Yeah. He gets stood up. The ball comes out. Trey Talmadge, the sophomore superstar linebacker. Rick Morrill knocks it loose. Nico Marabo, the senior outside linebacker, picks the ball up, snatches it right out of the mud, too. There is no footing. I don't know how he kept his feet and just didn't fall down. Yeah, that was – watching the – that was the most impressive thing. Like, not a slip to be seen in sight. He takes it 27 yards to the house with 48 seconds left. Like, totally snatching victory from the jaws of defeat. And the place – I mean, everyone is completely soaked and, like, whatever. It just went completely nuts. And it was the – you know, the miracle in the mud is what we were calling that's it. A, what a name for, for a game. Like, that's yes. awesome. Um, so he, it was just an, and it was an incredible play for Memorial only their first win over brick since 2020 and only their second win over them in the last 11 years. Brick mm -hmm. has had the upper hand for a long, long time in this, uh, series, basically for the history of the series, but unbelievable ending for him. I did feel terrible for toy because honestly he played awesome. Yeah. He was everywhere on defense. He probably had like 15 tackles. 
And he's been their um, best overall player. All yeah, year. he caught a deep pass, ran it down inside the 10 earlier. That could have been a big swing that got called back for holding. He had another diving catch. He had another great catch. He had some good runs. Like he was the punter on a night where it's a nightmare to be the punter as far as fielding yeah. the snap and getting the ball off cleanly and not slipping and falling while you're trying to kick it. So that part was unfortunate. But yes, Brick Memorial, as Walt Curry said to me after the game that I had in the story, like that's a story that Nico's going to be telling his grandkids like when he's 90. Yeah, it's just an, an all-time game, man. You know, Connor Dietz, Brickmore, senior quarterback, still had a good game on the ground, ran for, I think, what, over around 170 yeah, yards yeah, two, and, and, and two touchdowns. Um, so, you know, played well in the game, obviously, they needed to have and just like an all-time ending. You know, now Brickmore on 9-0, continuing the best start in program history. They're a number two seed in the Century's Group 4 playoffs. Brick missed out in the playoffs, so they'll be in uh, those regional consolation games. But, yeah, it's certainly a night to remember for the Stangs. Yeah, the, the other things that kind of stood out was the muddy field clearly benefited, I felt like, brick a little bit mm. because Dietz couldn't really in – in the middle of the field, he had no footing. Like, he would go to plant and just fall, slip and fall. And there were a couple times he turned the corner where if it's a nice, perfectly sunny day or whatever, he probably breaks it all the way for a touchdown. But mm. they're able to run him down, like, you know, before he can get down all the way down the field. Um, he did throw the intercept, interception near the end – um that it was like fourth kind of desperation time he had to just put it up it got picked off um so that you know could have been a tough ending for them as far as that was concerned but yeah he he, they couldn't really throw the ball either team other than you know uh christian booker did hit a bomb to jermaine rice for like Mm -hmm. 49 yards i think for brick to tie the game early um but brick really battled you know they stayed in the fight their defense made some huge stops in the red zone um, but yeah, Brick Memorial found a way and all the thing, like literally that 27 yards, you know, the three, the five seconds that it might have, or four seconds that it took mm-hmm. them. To, think of all the things that happened. Brick got eliminated from the playoffs essentially on that. Brick Memorial went to nine and zero for the first time ever and clinched the independence division yes. outright title. And Freehold Township had Brick sealed that win would have won a share of their first division title in school history. Yes. And they basically yeah. watched Maribel walk off with it the other I way. I know. And Freel, and we'll get to Freel Township's game later. They were in a fight to the death themselves, you know, trailing Barnegan at one point. So, yeah, that was like in real time, a lot was happening in that five-second span. Real yeah, uh, real, real quick, you mentioned the uh, – you were talking about the special teams. It reminded me something I want to talk about, the RBC game real quick. I'd be remiss – if I didn't uh, you know, talk about RBC senior kicker Justin Lamort, because obviously this was a game that RBC needed to score at the end and, and to send it to overtime. He had three for three on extra points, but two field goals, one of which was 43 yards. It's a short conference season long. Hit that, uh, drilled it uh, at the end of regulation. And then the extra point to tie the game came after a penalty negated what would have been a winning two-point conversion. To the kick of 25 yard extra point. So really clutch performance by him. Got to make sure you shout out the special teams, especially a 43 yarder. We've talked about that. Like you don't, that's not an everyday occurrence. And on a night point. like that, the weather was terrible. Yeah. Yeah. It was an, an awesome kick. Awesome day for. And that nearly became more. a huge factor in the brick Memorial brick game. Kurt Weibold Jr. The brick kicker mm-hmm. made his, both of his extra points, which gave them that 14 to yes. 13 lead. So he was clutch on a night where obviously the footing was a disaster on that field. 
Yeah. Um, so that was a, a big thing for him. But yeah, Brick, I, Brick Memorial, I mean, they won't forget that one anytime soon. And it was crazy. I, I wish I had gotten the kid's name before the game. It is like, I mean, sheets of rain. It's a monsoon. Of course, the stupid weather app said that like it was going to stop raining by yeah. that week. Like we had this window and instead of Never just getting fails. worse. So the sheets of rain, this kid in the brick band is on the drums, not like the stand up, like banging on the side drums, like a drum kit. And yes. he's just absolutely jamming. It sounded incredible. And he had Tommy like, Lee, long, like in the yeah, he had long black hair and he was just tongue out, waving the hair. The rain's coming down in sheet. <laughs> it was like he was like Dave Grohl out there, dude. It was insane. I was like, this kid is the MVP of this game, no matter what happens. We gotta find out who that is. That's outstanding. Yeah. <laughs> so so an epic ending for Brick Morrill. They got a nine and oh, and now they'll look to uh make a deep run in Central Jersey Group 4. Uh, speaking of clutch, Middletown North. Yeah, we said Stung that was a dangerous Marlboro. game. For, we said that was a dangerous game we for did. Marlboro, and it came to fruition. It absolutely was. Uh, so Middletown North rises up and stuns uh, Marlboro, Middletown North, uh, number 13, Marlboro, number 9, 28-21. The Lions emerge. Uh, their senior quarterback, Luke Sheehan, scrambled for a touchdown with 17 seconds left for the go-ahead score, and that had come after Marlboro had went down and tied the game at 21 with a minute 15 left touchdown catch by Nick Scaff. And then Matt Cassidy ran in the two point conversion. So Marlboro was flying high, trying to get a stop all the momentum and Middletown North, which you know has been a different team coming out from the bye now with three straight wins at five and three uh, earned a five seed in the playoffs. But uh, that was a huge comeback win for Middletown North. And that forced a tie for the freedom division title between Marlboro and Jackson. So when Marlboro beat Jackson, a couple weeks ago, it already wrapped up at least a share of Marlboro's first division title since 1994 and only their second ever. They're trying to win it outright. Uh, the Lions spoiled that. So they still get a banner, but not the same kind. And Jackson, uh, which beat Southern 13 nothing and held up its end of the bargain, gets a share there. So, you know, a, a wild one for Middletown North. Again, one of those not quite Manalpin level Jekyll and, Jekyll and Hyde, but Middletown North is been a little bit up and down certainly on the upswing these last three weeks they really are playing up to their potential here at the end of the season when it matters the most um i feel like their offense in particular has continued to improve every week and luke sheen coming into this year you know there are high expectations he was considered one of the better returning quarterbacks in the shore conference and he's really looked like it here the last couple weeks and geez how many of these games came down to like inside the final minute This was another was, one. That's what uh, drama, plenty of drama, and not just in some of these top matchups, some other games too. Uh, as you'll see when we get to those, there there was it was, you know, week. This is what you want from the final week of the regular season, from cutoff weekend. You want the drama, you want the high stakes, and we had plenty of that. Um, you want the desperation, for, you know, like you did. Like Tons of that. Have to have this, yeah, yeah. It's fun to see it. You see, it brings out the best in so many of these players, and you kind of see the the best ones rise to the occasion. And Middletown North's game. a little bit of an outlier, too, because they're in that North Jersey bracket. They're the one shore conference team that's not in Central or South. Carrying the flag up there, and they'll they'll take on Irvington in the first round in North 2, Group 4. So for Marlboro, yeah, tough. That's after starting 6-0, and that's not two straight losses. I mean, both the ranked teams, you know, lost to Rumps and Middletown North, but obviously they'd rather go into the playoffs, you know, coming off wins. Still, they are in a three-seed. Uh, they'll have a home playoff game again for the second straight year so they can turn things around. 
Uh, their sophomore, Zach Caporal, started that quarterback for injured senior Braden Klein. He suffered what looked like to be some kind of leg injury in the game against Rumson that I was at two weeks ago. So clearly he wasn't ready to go. Caporal, mainly a running quarterback when he's come in for them through the games I've seen this season, threw for 67 yards and that touchdown to Scaff, ran for 83 yards and a touchdown. And Matt Cassidy, you know, kind of doing what he's been doing all year, ran for 124 yards and a touchdown, two-point conversion, 11 tackles on defense. So, you know, Marlboro's still a team that I think can make a, a run there in that bracket. They're just going to have to kind of wipe this one away and, you know, the all like, you know, we're 0-0, zero, zero, it's playoff time, and kind of get right for that. Yeah, but I think that aura of, I don't know if you want to say invincibility, but their defense kind of had this, like, you can't score on us all year. Yeah. And the last two weeks, that's kind of been punctured by Rumson and Middleton. That's true. They try to have to get that mojo back. So that, that'll be something to watch this week. One game that in our headlines but was not close in the fourth quarter <laughs> was one of the few that was not dramatic but did have some history attached to it. That was the number 11 Colts neck with an emphatic 57-20 to 20 win over Long Branch. Uh, the most uh, points scored in a game in program history for Colts neck they had scored 50 twice, uh, once in 2018, and then another last year against Friel Burrow. Uh, but this one really was about the Cougars winning the game, clinching a share of the division title with Point Burrow, so they will share the Colonial Division Championship. And then senior running back Chris Scully came into the game needing 132 yards to become the program's all-time leading rusher. He went for a buck 85, four TDs, returned a kickoff 77 yards for a touchdown, and now he has leapfrogged Anthony Gardrulo uh, to have the most rushing yards in program history. And he's still got, you know, at least one more game to go, hopefully many more. So, you know, just a great afternoon for Colts Neck with a lot on the line. They played their most complete game of the season. You know, they got a record. Like it was one of those, uh, as Scully said, like all things considered, like that's something he'll remember forever. And it was wild how quickly they blew it open. You know, Long Branch mm -hmm. came out, took the lead. They were kind of like trading scores. And then the second half, it was just all Colts neck. Um, just a dominating performance by them offensively. And that, like I said, it's the best offensive game they've ever played. But yeah. especially for this year's team, just an explosion as far as like, that's what this team is fully capable of when they're mm -hmm. playing at their best. Clearly the, uh, the pursuit of the record, I think just, Scully seems to be really well liked by his teammates. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like they wanted him to have that moment. It's a nice sunny day. Colts like it was sort of like that perfect storybook day to get all of that. And you, they had that division title to lock down Yeah. and reading your story about it. I thought the interesting comments were like, yes, this is great and all that, but like, we still haven't done anything in the playoffs with this group. That's significant. And that's really what we really want more than anything. Yeah. That was Scully's big takeaway. Just, uh, you know, the overarching theme aside from his personal accomplishments and, and the team winning division title was like, yeah. And he said, he said, we've had good teams, we've had good seasons, but we've had some disappointing like playoff losses. So like, this is the time, like now we got to go in there and turn it around. So that that's really the goal for them. And Colts like has been a playoff team. They've, they have run into some eventual champions in those brackets. So it's not like they've lost to, you know, to bad teams or, or teams that, you know, went and fizzled out, but still, you know, you get in, you don't want to go one and done. You want to make a run. So Colts plays like that, you know, they can do some damage. You know, they'll host Tom's River South. They have a home game in the first round. South Jersey Group 4. Great for them in that this was their most complete game this season. Certainly the 57 points tells the story offensively. Their defense did a really good job against Long Branch. Um, in terms of Long Branch was really hit or miss. Long Branch hit some big plays. 
and had some quick scoring drives. Then other ones would go three and out really quickly. They went for it on fourth down a couple times in their own territory, late in the game mostly, or second half at least. But Colson just did a good job putting their offense in, in really you know good field position. And they took advantage of the special teams, as you mentioned. You know, Scully's kick return was big because Long Branch had went and scored on a touchdown by Davon Kraft. The extra point was no good. So 14-13, but still a game. Scully returned the kickoff. It's 21-13, and then it just snowballed from there. So great one for Colts Neck. Long Branch, though, really interesting that Ernest Reeve, and we've been talking about him all, you know, pretty much every week, their standout quarterback. He's had a cast on his throwing hand since week one because he injured that hand in the week zero whenever Piscataway. Well, no cast this week. Played quarterback. Didn't start. He came out for – Allander Daniels took the first snap by quarterback. Reeve was in the backfield. I'm looking, I'm like, I don't I'm zooming in with my camera. Thankfully, I had the camera there. I'm like, there's no cast on there. And he threw some passes and looked just fine. You know, he ran for a long touchdown, threw for 54 yards. Davon Kraft had 109 rushing yards and a touchdown. So, you know, look, they, they got a rebound from a 37 point loss where you give up almost 60 points. But to have Reeve able to throw the ball, and now you have the full complement of his skill set back there is big. You know, and they have a game against a fellow short conference team in Jackson. So it's not this unknown team they don't know anything about it's you know they're gonna go in they're going oh it's jackson like okay like we know what that's about and you know it'd be interesting to see if long branch can turn the page you know from a tough loss and go into the playoffs kind of with uh with a clean slate yeah the two things i took away from this were not great when chris scully runs over you and then you have to face jonah glenn the next week in the playoffs mm-hmm. so they need to tighten the interior of that run defense or it's not going to be good on the other hand, Jackson hasn't exactly been lighting it up scoring wise against most teams. They they play they're a tough defense that plays low scoring games. Uh, and on the Colts next side, I feel like Dom Beninato's really been heating up. He's been throwing like at least one, maybe multiple touchdown passes like every week here for the past couple of weeks. Yeah, I talked to Colts Neck head coach Matt Aaron about that. And that's you know, the day was Scully kind of stole the show for obvious reasons. He had five total touchdowns to break a record. You're going to get the headlines. But Ben Anato was just really solid, and that's what he's been for them all season. And that's huge because everyone knows Scully's going to get the ball 20 to 30 times every game. You have to be able to keep teams honest at the very least and complement that with a you know a functional passing game. And they've been he's been really good, really efficient. You know, he had the touchdown pass he threw to Tessio Caraballo. He actually dropped the snap and just kind of picked it up, looked downfield. The Long Branch defense, I think, pushed up, and Caraballo was just there. Wide open, he hit it to him, threw a touchdown pass to John Sherrod. Had a really big uh, throw to Ethan Matthew for a, a 63-yard gain. Um, just You know, he just put it up down the field in, in single coverage. Uh, and he, he's been good. You know, that's and he, he has the ability to run the ball, too, which is nice. You know, so many teams are keen on Scully. He can pull it and burn you for some yardage. And he can run tough between the tackles, too. So that's going to be big, especially in the playoffs. I mean, yeah, like if they're going to make a run. He's he going to have to do well. something big in these games mm-hmm. because it's a lot to ask Scully against some of these teams as it gets harder and harder to just go out there and put up. I mean, he's mm-hmm. capable of it, but you know, Ben and Otto to me, if they're, if they're going to get to the finish line and win a sectional title, he's going to have made some big plays. Also, Tessio Caraballo, I'm pretty sure was one of the characters on Mike Tyson's punch out. If I'm not mistaken, yes, you might be. 
That's, that's a, a good tremendous one. name. How do we miss that for the all name team? I it is like a good one. There's so many. One. There's so many that you just you put that name on a poster. Ah. Yeah, that's like that, that's say that's like that, he's gonna be famous for like something. I feel like at some point we gotta <laughs> keep that one tucked away in the memory <laughs> bank. Oh boy! All right, let's run down the rest of the uh, the ranked teams on Shore Sixteen. We'll start at the top. Number one, Donovan Catholic. I think we knew this wasn't going to be an easy game. We all picked Donovan, I think, or, or most of us did. It was the Griffins coming away with a 17-13 win over Middletown South. Like, it's never easy. Like, who really goes into the swamp and puts it on Middletown South? Like, that's only happened, like, a handful of times that I can remember. Middletown South just plays tough defense. They're in the games. It's They've been like that all year. But well, Donovan and I think away. it's also given the festivities surrounding that game. True. Middletown South was honoring um, – Anthony Macaluso and Nick Macaluso, right? They're two like star brothers that played yeah, there. Yeah, inducted them into their athletic hall of fame along with the 2003, 2004, 2005 state championship teams, which you know quite well. Those teams did not lose a single game. That's those three classes, 36 straight wins, three state titles. You know, so many short conference luminaries in there. Macaluso, of course, but the big one. Yeah, no, no Sean, Sean came back. Yeah, he, uh, yeah. he has houses in uh, Florida and Denver. I think he was down in Florida. Yeah, he flew up for the for the whole thing. So it was amazing to see him back. I was looking at some of the pictures. And I'm like, you should have put him in. Yeah, you give Noshon the ball right now. He'll still put 150 on you, like right out of retirement. Um, but now, I mean, number 20. Macaluso, when you talk about the greatest teammate duos of all time in the short conference, they have to be right near the front of the conversation. Absolutely. Look, their senior year. Noshawn was the state offensive player of the year. And the only reason Macaluso wasn't the state defensive player of the year is Bert Gavin got Brian Cushing, who had an incredible season, obviously went out to play in the NFL and, and all that. So the, you legitimately had, you know, the best offensive player of the year and like arguably the best defensive player in the uh, in the state. Their defense, the his their senior year was absolutely unbelievable. Like you couldn't even get – there were teams that were like – hugging each other if they even got a first down on that team like and it was like they, they would incredible. just put moreno in for like for, like when he would be like yeah. begging to play defense because like we don't need you out here getting hurt and he was like an incredible linebacker yeah they'd go put him up and he'd line up on the outside and just bend around the tackle like he was von miller and just throw the kid on the ground and they're like he doesn't even know what he's doing on defense and we just put him in there and he's like getting like sack fumbles yeah i mean he's still the state all-time record holder for most yeah. touchdowns and most points. And he didn't even play in the fourth quarter of probably like yeah. 70% of the games he played in. The most dominated offensive player the Shore has ever seen. Just in power, speed, and considering the competition level that Middletown South was playing at. It was just – there's so many no-shawn memories. I mean, you have the one covering the game when he – at the time, he broke the short conference record, 420 yards, seven TDs against Neptune. Yes. Everyone's yelling at you on the sideline, like, what's the Yeah, I, I, back then I had, like, the um, the thing that I got from, like, Staples, which is, like, the clipboard that had the calculator on top of it. Yes. And they're coming over that. me, and I'm, like, furiously trying to punch all the numbers. and like, how many do you have now? How many do you have now? And it was just, like, like there was, like, smoke coming out of that thing. Because the other thing is, back then, they did not unleash him for a full game. Right, mm -hmm. but they had had some bad blood with Neptune, where in '98 oh, yeah. the John Abbeville Neptune team ran it up on Antonucci and Middletown South in the state finals, put like 58 on them, and were still like gunning for the end zone even when they were up by like five touchdowns. So that game, they just decided like the hell with it. We're just gonna let Moreno just go full bore. They won 63 to seven, and yeah, he had seven TDs, and he had like a 70 yard punt return that I think might have got called back. 
He had like another crazy kickoff return. He had multiple sacks on defense. But in typical Noshan fashion, like it was the greatest individual game I've ever seen in my life, at least until the days of maybe Ashante Worthy when you yeah. were at some of those games. But I had never seen anything like it. And then I find him, I track him down, and he's like, yeah, it was all right. Like, it was a pretty good game. Like, yeah, it was a nice win for the team. Like, it didn't even register for him. Not not to get too lost in the weeds on, on No Sean here, because we could we could talk about him probably for an entire podcast. But I remember back in our days at the Asbury Park Press, and we they started the, the video highlight package they called Rallycast. And the very first game was Middletown South Long Branch. And I will never forget the punishing run. I will still remember the name of the Long Branch player to this day. And Oshan was running to the end zone. He could have went left. He could have went right. He could have done anything he want. He chose to run directly through the chest of the Long Branch defender and sent him into a nut, into orbit. And yes. it was like, oh! <laughs> it was like he almost like flew through the goalposts. And you're right. He could have totally just juked and like, you know, zagged to the corner of the end zone. And he specifically just to send a message, decided he was going to go like a missile full bore. And the kid just put his arms around to try to tackle him. And it was like he got launched like into the nut swamp road. Two last ones on no, Sean. Uh, it's still crazy to me. We've talked about this many times. And this is, I feel like, not common knowledge around the shore, but the fact that the Pop Warner team in, in Atlantic Highlands oh, had right. Sean Moreno, Donnie Brown, and Kenny Catus all on the same team. That's... Two future NFL first-round draft picks and the Shore Conference's all-time leading rusher. And the funny part is the coach of that team was, was a guy I went to high school with. It was his dad. And I remember <laughs> asking him, and he goes, I have to be the worst coach in America that we did not make it to Florida with that team. It was Atlantic <laughs> Highlands. That's too much. Oh, and then Noshan in college in Georgia, that's the Georgia team where it was Matthew Stafford, Noshan Moreno, and A.J. Green. Like, yeah. Whoa. Like, just, yeah, unbelievable. But, but as far as this I, game's concerned, yes. <laughs> Donovan grinded it out. Although I did hear Zaire Day kind of banged his knee up in that game and I think had to might have had to leave. So that's a question mark going into this big RBC game. Uh, yeah, that's something to watch for. You you don't you, I mean you, you'll never say oh this team got caught looking ahead or whatever but this game was looming in the background here for Donovan mm -hmm. Catholic but they had to have this one or it wouldn't have been a winner take all game for the American division this week yeah uh, absolutely so they, it was a must you know, have they did grind it out and like you said you're not just rolling into the swamp and like steamrolling that team especially on a night where they're honoring their greats and you know they want to show that they're up to the standard yeah. so you know good win for Donovan to get it done and a revenge win because. Middletown South beat them last year. True. Um, now, as far as teams that have been dominating, dude, break up the Hornets. You can't even get anywhere near the end zone on that team. No one scored a point on them since like September 12th or something. Like it's unbelievable. Six straight shutouts now for the, the 85 bear. I mean, the Holmdale Hornets. <laughs> 39 nothing over Shore Regional. Matt Tampone, two TD catches. Again, another balance. I feel like we just say this every week. Matt Tantone, two touchdown catches from Jack Cannon, Gary Collier, AJ Tedisco, Marcus Semele, touchdown rounds, Connor Mandini kicked a field goal, another just balanced defensive performance. They blocked a short field goal attempt to, to keep the shutout intact. I mean, just the, the amazing, incredible, whatever adjective you want to use, bounce back season for Holmdale continues 8-0, clinched the Constitution Division title, first undefeated regular season since 2007, and they go into the playoffs as a number two seed looking to get to and win a sectional title.
They've never won a sectional title. They have this was tying their school record for shutouts in a season. They didn't mm-hmm. have six in a row in 1991. They yeah. did have six though. Uh, but now the stakes ratchet up. I think now the thing is the only lingering questions you have about this team is they haven't really played a top ten, another top mm-hmm. ten team. So what are they going to do in the playoffs against much tougher caliber opponents? Like I remember that 2007 team uh, covering them. It was a similar thing. They beat a lot of solid teams in the regular season, and then they ran into a Rumson team that was a little bit more battle tested, and they yeah. got beat late. Fourteen seven, I think. Yes. Yeah. So it's like, will they be able to sort of flip that script with this new group? Uh, and get over the hump against maybe teams whose schedules were a little bit more difficult than theirs. But that's the only question because they've absolutely dominated everything. You know, the, it's hard to imagine that like they went to overtime with St. John Vianney like early in the season, the way they've been. Yeah. Big credit to Jeff Reynas and his staff and John Principi, the defensive coordinator. They've been getting better every week. Mm-hmm. They have not rested on their laurels of like this streak. Like their offense to me has gotten better and better the whole season. Jack Cannon becomes more and more of a playmaker and their defense is more dominant. Like this is a team that, you know, even though they've got the shutouts, they're, they're improving every game. Yeah. One of the best stories in the shore. And it's not, it's no, it's not the little team that could it's, this is a legitimate championship contending team. I, I mean, after eight games, I think you can certainly say that, you know, with conviction there, you can't do it any better than they're doing it right now. You know, you shot, I don't care what division you're in, six straight shutouts. Right. And it's not like sure. I know Shore's not having like one of their all-time seasons. There was still a five and two team coming into the game, you know, with some really good players on a team. To beat short 39 nothing, like that is a statement win. So they go into the playoffs, you know, as hot as anyone in Shore. Interesting matchup. Obviously, we'll get this into this in the other podcast, but coming over from the Bay Shore, that Madawan team playing mm-hmm. them in the first round. That to me is kind of juicy matchup. We'll see how that one goes. And obviously mm-hmm. we'll get into that more later. But speaking of championship contenders, Point Borough has clearly shaken off the uh, Manalapan loss from a couple weeks ago because the last two weeks they have utterly demolished the two teams in there. 92 way. points in the last two weeks. Uh, Point Borough 50 to zip over Raritan. And yeah, they're they're back to doing what they do. Matt Oliphant, a buck seventy-one and three touchdowns on six carries, just that breaking the, oh into the open when field. I saw that stat. I was like, "Are you kidding me?" Six carries. That'll up the old yards per carry average. Uh, freshman Jay Clayton, seven yards rushing, two touchdowns. Jay Croce had a rushing touchdown. It was thirty-six nothing at halftime. Grayson Pagan, Mikey Ollendorf added touchdown runs in the second half with the running clock. Defense does its thing and Point Burrow. Rolls into playoffs seven and one, number one seed in their section. They have Willingboro on the other side. So for them, it's all about get back to that final, avenge the loss to Willingboro. And then, you know, most likely you're either going to see Rumson or Haddonfield in that uh that semifinal. So a long way to go to get to that point, but that that's the path for Point Borough right now. It's yeah, clearly, anything uh, short sure of they, you know, they want a that, sectional uh, title. Yeah, they want that Willingboro rematch, I would think, mm-hmm. after the way last season went. And and, and Willingboro's a lot of the same players. It's not like they reinvented mm-hmm. themselves. Their quarterback was a freshman last year. So it's yeah. like they're going to see a lot of the guys who hurt them last year. And like you just said, a potential semifinal, should everything break the Shore Conference's way, would be Rumson against Point Borough in Group 2. Rumson went out and handled their business to get to 4-4, four and 21-0 four, over Wall. Yeah, Jackson Gallagher, their tight end, two touchdown catches. Alistair Orr, their senior running back, uh, was out, missed the game against Marlboro. 
came back, ran for 113 yards and a touchdown. So they're getting some key players back. Uh, they should have Nick Rigby and Sean Trinder back as well for the start of the playoffs. Again with Rumson. What what was the whole thing? Get to four and four. You're in the playoffs. You're a top seed. Like now it's the past eight weeks like mean nothing now for Rumson. It's about you're in the playoffs. You're a top seed. You're a group two title contender. Like everything is in front of them. They go out and get to the final or win group two. Like it's the record is meaningless. Yeah. I mean, and that's going to accomplish. Again, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but will having, having already played point borough work in their favor that they've seen their speed Mm -hmm. in in person. Now they've dealt with that triple option. Maybe they make some adjustments that can change a few things in that game and and themselves maybe play even better offensively. Mm -hmm. Um, We'll see how that goes, but I mean, looking at their bracket real quick, like you got to think Haddonfield, the two seed. Haddonfield's the team that Burrow knows well, Raritan mm-hmm. knows well. Um, the, the team they play in the first round, that Haddonfield, what was it, two years ago? And they beat Raritan in the sectional final and then yes. beat Point Burrow in the bowl game. Yes. Yeah. So the, Haddonfield's another one of those teams that they're always in the mix. Right. You know, they, they have a, a strong championship history. Um, and certainly if that's the team that Rumps ends up playing, if they both made it to the final, yeah, that, you anticipate that would be a good game. So, yeah, again, you, you still got to win a couple games to even get to that point, but Rumson right where it wants to be heading to the playoffs. Going down number 10, Jackson Memorial. You, know, you talk about, you know, you were at Brickmore with the sloppy field. I imagine this looked very similar to that. 13 nothing for Jackson over Southern. Jonah Glenn, 73 yards and a touchdown. Doing 25 carries to get there, though, so I imagine the footing wasn't exactly spectacular. And Southern's defense has played pretty tough most of the year against the run. Dennis Caswell out of the touchdown run, so not pretty for Jackson, but you take it. It's a win. They held up their end of the bargain to make sure that they could potentially clinch a share of the division title if Middletown North won, which it did. So now the Jaguars, for the second straight year, earn a shared division title they finished the regular season seven and one and they go into the playoffs uh as a three seed in central jersey group three uh which is an interesting bottom half of the bracket there with you know, long branch at jackson then brick Morrow as the two seed so you got to like one of those three teams to make it to the final yeah that's the bracket that i feel like you know we kind of have a guaranteed finalist i would think you know mm-hmm. between the long branch jackson winner and you would think brick memorial takes care of business in that first round game so mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one you're going to keep an eye on as far as the Shores' chances. The whole story with Jackson is, can they make enough plays passing the ball yeah. to, win the, to win against a, a top-notch opponent in the state playoffs? Or can their defense dominate to that point where they can win low-scoring games and ride that mm-hmm. all the way to the championship? Yeah, and, and they've shown that. I mean, the one game they lost, they allowed 11 points. So it's not like the defense has given up a lot of points in any of these games. To me, it's Jonah, they need the running game to do what it's designed to do in that offense. And then in the passing game, it's more about they will get Jaden Hernandez and Albert Alessandro, their wide receivers, and really talented playmakers involved as much as they can. It's what do those two do with those touches? So if like they only have, you know, between them eight, nine, ten touches on offense, but if between even if they make one big play out of that, that could completely changed the complexion of the game and Dallas Andrews is really good and on punt returns too like he's a dangerous special teams player so that's the x factor for Jackson because if they can get that going with the way that the run game has been consistent and so is the defense pretty much all year I think that is what that's really what they need to take them over the top because you're not 
like we've mentioned a lot of teams to be just one dimensional where you're just going to give it to Jonah Glenn for 30 times and hope he runs for 250 and two or three touchdowns and, and your defense plays well like that. It's hard to do that unless you're just like an overwhelming team up front, which they're, they're very good, but they're not an overpowering overwhelming team. Yeah. Not yet. I mean, I think as Glenn, yeah. you know, is in a junior senior year, true. he may become that type of team. Yeah. We're giving this guy oh, yeah. 25 times and you're just not going to be able to stop him period. Mm-hmm. Um, but not quite at that level yet. And, you know, they need to play from in front too. They're a team that they want to get the lead, start draining the clock with their run game, pound you with their defense and just kind of salt things away. Like they're not really built to be down, you know, 14, nothing and have to suddenly mm-hmm. find a way to come back. So that's going to be a big key for them. And we mentioned this game talking in relation to the brick brick Memorial game turned into a pretty wild game. Number 14, free old township, 40 Barnegat, 27, the Patriots scored 27 unanswered after speaking of being down, you know, they were down 13, nothing and 27, 13. And they find a way. Nick Cardone does it again, adds another uh, record to the resume. Yeah. Well, I feel township up 13 nothing originally. Oh, that's Barnett right. scores 27 straight points to take a 27 13 lead. And then Freel Township stakes 27 right back and ends up winning. Uh, Nick Cardone tied the school record with five touchdown passes and then set the single school season record with 23. John Paul Cortez continues his awesome year. Two touchdown catches. He had a two point conversion. Returned an interception for a touchdown at the end to seal it. Jalen Gill Anderson, Nick Carnival, Noah Cancel had a touchdown catch each. And the run game really got it going. Senior running back Nick Wisson, 146 yards and a touchdown. I think that's the biggest output they've had all season by one player on the ground. So just a great win for Friel Township. And you mentioned at the time, you know, I, I don't know what kind of information they're relaying there as far as who's winning what game. But they knew they needed to win that game, A, to just have a shot at the division and just in case Brick were to upset Brickmore. And for playoff purposes, too. Like that's you got to beat Barnegat, which was a one-win team coming in. Um, you don't want to mess around and maybe <laughs> hurt your playoff chances badly. They didn't, they found a way to get the win. Um, and then in the loss, got to mention for Barnegat, Mike Mike Juan Rush had a big game, 167 yards rushing and three touchdowns. Barnegat's record is a little deceiving. They've had some overtime games. Mm-hmm. They had this this game, they took them to the edge. I, I feel like that team improved as the season went along. Might not have shown in the win column, but they were battling teams down the stretch, mm-hmm. not making it like an easy out in some of their games. I mean, obviously, yeah, they're on the wrong side against some really top higher level teams. But I just all I could think is if somebody on the freehold sideline being like, Bricks up by a point and they have the ball and there's a minute left. And like the kid, like thinking, Oh my God, like this is going to happen for us. And then like, Oh, and they no, saw no. your tweet. And somebody Never spiked the iPad. Um, That's the way it goes when you're, it's like scoreboard watching. It was, yeah. yeah it, and it you know, crazy. for township though, like we talked to Corey Davies a couple of weeks ago on the uh, coach's corner show. Like he said, the expectation is to be in the playoffs every year mm-hmm. and, you know, to be a winning team. And now they've added, another season in the postseason now so it's like yeah they this team they're uh they're dangerous and like they should they can score on anybody yeah and they like can. Corey said to us yeah you know we may it may take us time to prepare for the other team but it takes teams it takes it's hard for them to prepare for us in a week with the offense we run very true and they are they're the number five seed they'll travel to north brunswick uh friday night in the first round and 
That's the site of uh, arguably the best win in school history. Their first playoff win where they had to stop North Brunswick, like near the goal line at the end of the game. So they have some fond memories from playing North Brunswick to try to uh, create some more ones in the first round of the playoffs. Number 15, Toms over South was down 20 to 14 at the half. And then uh, they took care of business over the final two quarters, 41, 20 over central regional. They clinched the outright Liberty Division title, first division title since 2002, which was also an outright title in the Constitution Division. Jake Hanahan, their junior running back, 183 yards rushing, four TDs. So a career day for Hanahan. Demir Nelson, 52 yards rushing, two touchdowns. Jimmy Alexander, their senior quarterback, ran for 100 yards on 22 carries. So the ground game hitting on all cylinders. They clinched the division title. They're back in the playoffs as a six seed, and they're going to go on the road to face another short conference team in Colts Neck on Saturday. So a really great bounce back season for Tom's River South and their head coach, Matt Martin, continued. Real building block season for them. You know, like you mm-hmm. get this division title, and now you can say you're a playoff team. And I think the other, you know, encouraging stuff is a lot of these quality players are coming back. This is not yeah. a – hey, every guy that's doing anything on our team is a senior and is going to graduate. Uh, Jake Hennahan is a junior, correct? And he's really yes. taken off here these last couple of weeks quietly, have put in together a really nice season running the ball. So he'll be a, a real centerpiece for them next year. Uh, yeah, getting in the playoffs, you know, because sometimes I think the other thing is that Liberty Division schedule, as we saw with other teams, it left them on the outside looking in. And especially as a group four school like Tom's River South, line. that's even harder. And but, you know, playing Tom's River North and playing some of these teams out of the division really benefited them points wise for strength Mm -hmm. of schedule, because you look at, you know, like the Pinelands and the teams like that, like they were not able to get in with a decent amount of wins. Um, So this was big for for South. And then, yeah, we'll see how they'll take their shot against Colts Neck, who's coming in really hot. But this is a real selling point. If you're Matt Martin, Hey, we're a playoff team. We're a division champion. You want to be a part of this. Uh, So I think this was a big step forward for Tom's river South this year. Rounding out the ranked teams, number 16, Manalpin 21, 14 held off red bank. Uh, Jackson Fister, 90 yard punt return touchdown clinched the game with a, uh, a late interception. Ryan Darty threw a touchdown pass to tight end, Joseph Mello. Another defensive score, Aiden Wilmot returned a fumble return after a strip by Dennis Healy. So the Braves score on offense, defense, special teams. They they talk about meandering your way to, to four and four. I mean, how Manalpin's interesting. I was thinking about this before. Would you rather be a team that is four and four where you beat all teams you're supposed to, but like you just couldn't get it done against teams that are better than you, or you're Manalpin? Like you could, it seems like they could beat anybody and maybe lose to anybody in the same season. Like the true. Will the real Manalpin stand up? Like I think the playoffs are good for a team like that, though, because you play up or down to their competition. So now you have have to play up, Mm -hmm. you know, because Red Bank they're solid, they're but they're a one win team. Yeah, right. So it's like the fact that they were in a dogfight with them was a little surprising. Uh, but that's kind of been Manalpin's thing. They kind of play up or down to the opponent. So what you're saying is they have Mainland right where they want them. Yes, exactly. The first round of the playoffs. Exactly. Mainland 9-0, and I believe. Yes. Number two seed. Top in the 10 South team in the state, I believe, or close to it. Uh, defending champs on top of that. Mm-hmm. Um, they're the team that beat Middletown South in last year's uh, sectional final. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'll put it this way. 
uh, if I'm mainland, I'm not taking them lightly that like, oh, we're just, this is going to be nothing because yeah. if Manalpin plays their best, they show like yes. you're going to be in a dogfight with them in the fourth quarter. But yes, they are, they are like the, they are the Tums like team of the year in the short conference. <laughs> every, every week, like when we're doing our picks and it comes up Manalpin game, it's like insert the gift from like the movie airplane because it's profusely sweating <laughs> yes. and like, trying to land the plane. I'm like, whoa, what am I going to do here? So. But yeah, but the Braves, the Braves, look, they've been fun. They have certainly given us uh, their I fair do. share. I don't know if they had had one yet this year, but they always get at least one kickoff or punt return touchdown every season. On yeah, summer. I feel like they might have had one previous already. But yeah, they're like, it's if you if, if you're playing them, they hadn't had one yet. Like you better be nervous. Just keep kicking out of bounds because right. they're Take bound the to get one. So the Braves uh, get to four and four, and they're in the playoffs, and uh, we'll see what they can do. Friday night down at mainland. Uh, other notable results: the we had a Thursday game. Uh, Monmouth and Pylands were like, "Let's get it, uh, you know, let's get this thing out of the way before the monsoon kicks in." And that was Monmouth Regional with a uh, a clutch twenty to seven win over Pylands on the road. A fourth quarter touchdown by Nick Crossley was the difference. Got Monmouth into the playoffs. Uh, you know, they have a tough one. They're going to have to go on the road and face Willingboro, but hey, it still got them into the playoffs. They're, they're uh, six and three on the season now. Caden Stafford, three catches for 80 yards in the score, who quietly has, you know, one of, you know, up there in receiving yards in the shore. Jalen Harris, a touchdown run. And a player I feel like I type his name every week is Dan Kikta. Two more tackles for loss, him and Griffin Hicks. And then on the losing side for Pions, that's a tough one because Pions really needed that game to have any shot at making the playoffs. They didn't get it, so they're on the outside looking in. We'll be playing in one of the regional uh, consolation games. Mike Frawley, nine catches for 134 yards and a touchdown. Jamin Parkinson ran for 102 yards and a score, and Ethan Woods kicked a 25-yard field goal. So, Monmouth, man, it really they had a little bit of a down year last year. Um, I think only two wins or three wins, but the year before we're in six wins. They're doing it again. I mean, Dan Wendell and his staff have done a really good job there at a place where – stability has been the hardest thing for Monmouth to find. They've risen up and had these six, seven, eight win seasons. And then we'll just go back into two, three win mode for three more. And then like in five, six years, they rise up again, but starting to see some more consistency in Tinton Falls. We talked so much about Homedale and Tom's River South kind of being these headliners of these teams that roared back for tough seasons, but you really got to put Monmouth up there too. You know, like I think they were way under the radar coming into this year. Uh, and they made a real run at that division title. I mean, they came up just short, but they were right in. I mean, think about it. They lost 6 nothing to Tom's River South. That's mm-hmm. like the difference between them yeah. potentially being or sharing that championship So, um, or having it all to themselves. So, yeah, that, this was a really great and, – and that they were able to rise up on the road, right? I think they had to take mm-hmm. – to drive the 9 down. million miles down to yeah. Tuckerton. Yeah, so, like, they went down there and got it done and – you know, now they get to you get that. That's another again, another sales point. If you're the coach, hey, we play in a playoff atmosphere. We're gonna we're in a big game this week. Mm-hmm. And yes, that Willingboro t- team is you know really good, and that's not going to be easy. But you're playing important football in late October, and that to mm-hmm. me is you know the the easiest selling point as a coach. If you be part of this team, we will be in big games um, at the end of the season. Uh, so yeah, that was a that was a really nice job by them and. Um, skipping a little bit ahead, a team that they also, you know, Howell has really come on here strong at mm-hmm. the end of the year. 35-12, Wanda Jesus, man. He just keeps stacking up 100-yard rushing games every week. 
Yeah, he, I mean, Brandon Wright, their senior running back, got hurt, you know, a handful of games ago. And DeJesus, you saw some time last season, but he has really given them a huge lift. 141 yards rushing and a touchdown. He also ran a, returned a fumble for a touchdown on defense where he plays linebacker. They really settled in uh, offensively at quarterback. Egan Nelms has been their, their starter, threw a touchdown pass to Kevin Maloney. And Vin Meehan, their junior, can kind of do a bunch of different things, played a little bit of quarterback. They really kind of stuck him more in the backfield now. And he had 70 yards rushing and a touchdown. So Howell really playing well here, getting some wins, so like some tangible results for their effort. Because even their losses, they've played really well. They have a win over Manalpin. You think they're lost. They lost to Wall by one point. They, you know, they actually played decently against RBC early in that game. They took Jackson. Um, like, exactly. To Jackson game. late. You know, they've played well against playoff teams. So they, they've done a nice job. Uh, and now they're in the playoffs. They're really tough road game against Hillsborough, certainly. You know, anytime you're the seven seed, you're going to have a difficult game. So, but Howell is not a team that I think that Hillsborough can take lightly just because they've, like they've played great competition and they've kind of seen it all and they probably feel like they're battle tested and they're riding on now. So we'll see I mean, how it can especially too. Was that a th- team a couple weeks ago that you thought would be a playoff team this year? Yeah, absolutely not. Right. So to no. me, they've made a real run because I think there was a point in the season where you kind of starting to mentally write them off a little bit of like, okay, I guess this is just not going to be their year. So mm-hmm. that was a great job by them to rally and get into the postseason. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, they're you talk about their they start off 0 and 3. So they lost to Wall by one point. Wall, I know their record isn't great, but they're in the American division. They're still a playoff team and a five seed. They lost to Middletown North by two points, playoff team and a five seed. Lost to Marlboro by 10 points. Division champ, playoff team, three seed. Lost to Jackson by six points. Three seed playoff team, division champ, and then the RBC loss. So all of their like none of their losses you look at them and go, man, like that's a bad one. He shouldn't have lost to that. So like Howell record is a little deceiving. So we'll, we'll see what they can do here with the tough road matchup. Uh, another dramatic game uh, in Asbury park with St. John Vianney outlasting Asbury park, 29, 22 in double overtime. First got to get up to Asbury park. I mean, the last two weeks, this is a team that has like, I don't even know if they have they two have dozen players on players the whole roster. Exactly. So right around two dozen kids. And they, they gave Manchester all they can handle, you know, a seven-win Manchester team in a 27-2 loss. And now, you know, took St. John Vianney, which, you know, I know is three and six, but has been playing a lot better second half of the season. Um, and, you know, loses an over a double overtime game. So I know Asbury Park's winless, but you got to give it up to the guys that are there and battling every week. They have talent. It's just – it's hard when you only have 20-something kids. You look like, at so many of their games – they essentially ran out of gas in the second mm-hmm. half or the overtime. And that's what happens when you yeah. literally only have two dozen players and like every guy like has to play every single snap of the game because some of yes. those players are probably freshmen that like you can't even really put in a varsity game for right. that many plays. So, yeah, I mean, Asbury, their record is deceiving. They've played some teams really tough. Um, and it, I just, again, I think they got a super raw deal from the short conference by getting moved up into that division. I agree, and you hope they go back down, which I imagine they're going to. But you know, put them the in that Patriot line. division this year; they have like three or four wins easily. Yes, yeah, for sure. So we'll see what happens as far as that goes. But they definitely did battle, 
the Annie though gets the win and gets the spoils. Their freshman Abdul Ture has speaking of you know as they have come on and played much better in the second half. He has really risen up as a freshman. You know he made a great defensive play in double overtime. Realized the quarterback sneak was coming out of nowhere. Got in, stopped it, forced a fumble to end the game. Um, and he also ran for 178 yards and a touchdown on 24 carries. Ran into two point conversion. Junior wide receiver Jameer James breakout game, six catches for 107 yards, two touchdowns. Their sophomore quarterback, Thomas Foley, had a touchdown pass and a rushing touchdown. Ryan Vallely, their junior QB, also threw a touchdown. So Vianney, it's a nice win there, dramatic win. They still have one more regular season game left. Uh, they'll play Immaculata on the road, and then we'll see where they fall in the non-public playoffs. So a, a dramatic ending, you know, uh, certainly there for Vianney. Uh, we mentioned Howell. Tom's River East, uh, they improved to four and five, a 31-8 win. Over Neptune, Nevin Hart, two touchdown runs. Anthony DeMarco, Christian Valio, touchdown run each. P.J. Kemper, an interception on defense. And then Point Beach, off the schneid. Yes. The first win of the season for the Garnet Gulls. They win a defensive slugfest, 8-6. Uh, their head coach, Joseph Cohen, was just, you know, he emailed me his weekly stats and his, you know, statement was just so proud of the kids for sticking with it. Like, you're 0-8. It's easy to just be like, hey, is this thing over yet? And they battled the Jackson Liberty team. Yeah, that's a, a larger school, group three school. Came away with the win. Liam Brosnan uh, had a big game on both sides of the ball. Ran for 109 yards and a touchdown. 109 of their 112 rushing yards, by the way. So he was most of their offense. Ran into the two-point conversion. Had six tackles, a sack, an interception on defense. Jamie Satraki and nine tackles and two sacks. So the Garnet Gulls, the O is gone. Great perseverance, like you said. I mean, it's so easy to say, oh, okay, you know, like, is it wrestling season yet? You know, is it basketball mm-hmm. season yet? Uh, so to go out on a, a rainy night and get a win over a much bigger school, that's that it's little things like that that I love because, like, to them, that's their Super Bowl, you know, mm-hmm. like, they'll, they might not, they'll still remember, you know, the seniors will say, okay, it was a tough year, but remember that one game and we beat them and whatever, you know, yeah. so. And that's a tribute to the players for staying in the fight, you know, when they could have kind of let their minds wander to what's coming up next in the school year. And Uh, I feel like these late season games are always big for small schools like Point Beach and some of those Patriot Division schools because Beach was was solid last year. They were really senior heavy. So they came into this season extremely young and inexperienced. So you get that win against Jackson Liberty. Now they have two more games they picked up, some consolation games. Let's say they get a win there. All of a sudden, you get three wins. You close the season on a high note. You have a lot of young players come back. Like that can set the tone for your offseason and a bounce back year. I mean, you've seen it countless times with teams. So if Beach can do that, I mean, you feel certainly a lot better going into the offseason than you did through the first eight weeks. So, and sometimes it's hard to interpret these two because you don't know what games these teams are going to pick up now, like towards Mm -hmm. the end of the season. Like, Will Beach get another couple wins here and all that? Like you said, it's it's a little murkier now because like teams are sort of frantically adding games if they're not in the crossover tournament yeah. or you know Just trying to get more like, teams for their kids. Yeah. yeah, you know, like so it's like you'll see how the momentum really ends up playing out depending on like who they played and a team that has some momentum going into the postseason. Manasquan, nice twenty nine nothing win uh, over Ocean. Uh, that's her second straight shutout. And I think that, uh, you know, 
they're still Madison squad. I know that this hasn't been like a powerhouse season for them, but they're in the playoffs, which is where they always are. Uh, and if if I know remember correctly, this knocked Ocean out, correct? It did, yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was a big win for Maniswan just to, you know, Maniswan's four and three. And that Constitution division, I feel like, has been a little weird because Holmdel has just completely run away with it and stolen all the headlines, just shutting everyone out for a month and a half straight. Um, and then, like, Shores had been, been solid. You know, Vianney's had its moments where it's risen up. Like, even Ocean had, you know, its moment beating Raritan. Um, you know, switching their offense like in a week. Right. Manasquan's kind of been there. Manasquan has three losses. They are to Brick Memorial, Point Borough, and Holmdown. Right. So like they've lost to three teams that have a combined one loss. So like they haven't, they don't have any bad losses. Manasquan doesn't wow you in the sense where offensively it's very much, we're just going to do what we do. We're going to be efficient. We're going to not make mistakes. We're going to try to hit you with a big play here and there. And Manusquan always throws some kind of trickeration out at some point. We're going to play tough defense. And that's that's the formula. Certainly Manusquan has had teams where they've just had, you know, overpowering, you know, just physicality and whatnot. Um, this isn't one of those teams, but it's still, like you said, still Manusquan. To me, it's like you look at the coaching staff. Like it's still Manusquan in that sense. Jay Price leading the way, and a lot of those assistants have been there for a very long time. They've been through many state championship runs. So those guys certainly know how to get it done in the playoffs and what it takes. So they host Somerville. They're on the same side as Delcy, which is the number one seed and one of the top teams in the state. So not the best of draws, but a home game versus Somerville, Somerville certainly a winnable game. And it and brings back Squan. memories, man. How many great Manasquan oh, Summer Bowl games yeah. have there been, been over the years? Well, throughout the run of the five straight titles from from, from 98 to oh, oh 02 or 03. Yeah, 02, yeah. So, oh, 02, yeah. So, yeah, they battled with Somerville countless times. So, really, so a throwback there. Somerville was like an overwhelming favorite, and they're undefeated, and they're averaging, you know, 8 million points a game, and Squan beats them like 14 to 7 or something, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, there's always that. Squan essentially has been – Beat the teams they're supposed to be lost to the teams they're mm-hmm. supposed to lose to. So they're to me, we kind of don't really know yeah. enough about them. And we'll see if, like you said, it, the way it shakes out is you get the win over Somerville and then you take your shot with Delcy. I mean, they'll, exactly. they'll be a huge underdog in that game if they empty the playbook in that one. And then you got yeah. Wall on Thanksgiving, certainly. So right. uh Squan improves to four and three. Madawan improves to four and five. Um, and the Huskies get into the playoffs, a 27-7 win over Freeld Burrow. Amir Martinez has thrown the ball really well the last uh, you know few games, 123 yards through the air, two touchdowns, ran for 64 and a touchdown. Wellman Crooms, their outstanding sophomore wideout, big FBS interest, four catchers, 66 yards on a touchdown, also ran for a touchdown. Keyshawn Sylvester with a touchdown pass, and now they will take their shot at home now, see if they can – Obviously, they're looking. At, it's the playoffs. You want to win the game, but to do that, you got to score some points, which no one's done since September. So, Madawan, you know, has certainly played better. They were zero and four, and now they're you know four and five in the playoffs. And the only they're loss similar in that to was me. They're similar to me to Howell in the sense that there yep. was getting to the point where we kind of thought like, all right, they're out. You know, like they're mm-hmm. it's just not going to be their season. But they also got off the deck at zero and four, and. Yeah, I think it's also going to be a big test of Madawan's defense. Can you keep it close enough with Homedell where if like you hit Crooms for the 70-yard TD late or something like that, that can be the difference in a low-scoring game Um, because it's asking a lot 
to win like you know some kind of shootout type game because this is like you said home does not allowing a single point i don't i don't know how you think you're going to suddenly beat him like 35 28 or something like that you know? <laughs> it doesn't it does not have shootout written all over no. it for sure so. um but Madawan's then- just an intriguing team because you know of the the offensive skill they have at any moment that could hit on all cylinders and it wouldn't be a surprise for them to do that now you can't it would be a surprise if they hit the home dog just because of how great home dogs played defensively. But the point is, like, Madawan is a dangerous team. And I don't think, I don't think you have to tell that to home dog. I'm pretty, pretty sure they I just understand. think, though, in the stretch that home dogs played, uh, I mean, have they necessarily seen some of the speed at the skill positions that Madawan brings? You Not know, likely. I mean, right. But on the other hand, you got to be able to get the ball to them and not be, you know, sacked in two seconds mm-hmm. before you can throw it. Yeah. And you don't you don't want to be in third and long the whole game because they're just going to send everyone at you. Uh, mm-hmm. So establishing the run against them is what's been really, really hard for anybody to do. And then once they got you in like third and eight the whole game, like you're done. Yeah. And they control the clock with their offense. So it's yeah, they've had a pretty you good see why they're eight. and oh. yeah, <laughs> you no, know, they do a lot of things well. Um, and their special teams are really good. Like Connor Mandini is one of the best kickers in short. Yeah. So like they're rock solid there as far as extra points and then field goals. So, you know, if they have to win a low scoring one, they're confident they can do it. So, but the thing in Madelon's favor too, though, is all the pressure is on home though. Mm-hmm. They can't be like, we're the underdog team or we're this team, you know, Madelon, the roles are reversed, you know, traditionally in a game like Madelon would be the playoff favorite yeah. and, you know, Holmdel, like sort of the plucky underdog, but it's the total other way around in this Very game. True. So, in other words, if Madawan can crack that veneer and get like 14 points on them in like the first half, you might shake them up a little bit to where mm-hmm. you feel like you're really in the game. Um, so yep. we'll see how that goes. Uh, also, yes, shout out to Manchester getting new school record seventh victory in a season, 48-22 over Lakewood. Josh Love. 200 yards rushing and six TDs uh, for the exclamation point on that uh, record-setting victory. And they didn't make it to the postseason, but they will have a chance to add to the to that school record for wins. Yes, they have, they're in one of those. So the way the, the regional consolation games go is if you finish 17th through 21st, you actually will get seeded and placed into games where it's not really a tournament. They're not, no one's getting trophies at the end of this, but uh, Manchester's, and it goes by group. So it's a South group two, group three, Manchester will play at Ocean. So, and if they win that, they can play another game. If they don't, they'll probably pick up another game. So I imagine Manchester's going to have two games left. So I mean, it's not out of question. They could finish, you know, nine wins, eight or nine wins, which for a team that had never won more than six and only done that a few times, you know, I know they're down in the Patriot division, but there's a reason they were. They this program struggled a lot, you know, recently and for most of its history. So the job that the players and the coaching staff led by, you know, second year head coach Tommy Farrell have done is exemplary. And uh it's nice to see them, you know, having some success and see if they can continue it. You know, Ocean is a team that you're gonna go up several divisions and play a team that's played a more difficult schedule. Um, Manchester already did that, played they played Shore Regional um and lost. So Another challenging game for them, but at this point, you got your seven wins. Like they will probably go in there playing pretty loose and free and just trying to go out there and you know keep piling up the points. Yeah, this is another building block in what they're trying to accomplish there. You know, become a perennial winning team, which has been a big struggle at Manchester to 
put multiple good seasons together back to back. And then the next frontier obviously is getting into the playoffs with hopefully you're going to need obviously just a little bit more of a beefed up schedule. I mean, that's their mm-hmm. thing. They got seven wins. How many teams in New Jersey have seven wins and aren't in the playoffs? Yeah, there's a handful. And the, the common, you know, theme in that is the schedule they play. Usually those teams that have the, those number of wins and aren't making the playoffs is because they're larger schools playing in smaller school divisions because they needed the schedule relief. Like it's not. And it's the reason, honestly, like, it's the reason they changed a lot of the formula because other mm-hmm. teams were getting annoyed that these teams were scheduling down and getting into the postseason yes. over them where it was like, come on, man, you got to play a little bit better schedule. If you want to, you know, get into this. I know. About that. Well, you, but I still see on Twitter and whatnot, people, this team, it's seven wins. Like, how did they not get in? It's like, we still really don't get it. Do we? So you can't, I'm not going to address all those, but listen, that's just the, the way it is. And talking to head coach, Tommy fire, like he understood that. And he said, you know, they're thinking they might move down into group two next year, which would definitely help them. Even if they moved up, let's say one division to the Liberty, um, but you'd be playing with small, similar school sizes. So yes, what your record would be commensurate with your playoff seating most likely. But that, that's what happens when you're in divisions like that. Regardless, great season for Manchester. They'll try to continue it on Saturday at Ocean Township. Uh, and then the last two games, Keyport taking care of business, 33-7. Over New Egypt, seven wins in a row now for the Red Raiders. They're eight and one going into the playoffs in Central's Group One. Uh, Nazir Treadwell, 109 yards passing, two touchdowns, and 109 yards rushing and a touchdown. Makai Henderson, 94 yards rushing and two TDs. Vincent Cavallo had a 68 yard touchdown catch. Andre Matthews had a TD catch. And speaking of the all name team, Love Deep Singh, a sack and two tackles for loss on the defensive side. So the Red Raiders. You know, buzzing. The only loss was to a, a group three freehold borough school. Um, I forget it might even be group four. I have to like check on that. There's those teams that go back at, ever since group yeah, five, they kind of flip flop. Like, forget yeah. which yeah. teams are in which one, but you know, keep riding high. They're the sixth seed again. That's where sometimes the scheduling comes in. I mean, they are a group one school, but they'll go on the road face a you know, a very good Glassboro team. Um, but I like the Red Raiders in this bracket because they've been playing so well, they play good defense. Uh, and they're going to have the best player on the field in most of the games they play, and in, in Nas Treadwell. Most Group 1 teams are, honestly, at this stage of the season, based around one real superstar player. Like, most of mm-hmm. them don't have a ton of playmakers. It's like one or two kids. So like, Keyport has like three or four. Yeah. So I think that gives them an advantage. Glassboro, we know, is good. You know, they're that's a good program. They always are in the mix in Group 1, so that certainly won't be easy. Not to mention the bus ride is a good nine hours long um, down there from Keyport. <laughs> oh, from Keyport to, yeah. to Joseph Elbow Boulevard is not. Yeah, there. that's that's a true Rowan grad right there. Knows the street <laughs> names and everything. Um, but yeah, now you're right. You got to like their chances just with Treadwell and those other guys. They just have, they can win a shootout. They can win maybe in a lower scoring game where they need a big play near the end. The, you know, that's uh that's that they're definitely one of the more intriguing teams from the shore in the postseason. Definitely. So we'll, we'll see what the red Raiders can do. And then finally, uh, Keensburg, a 28, 14 win over the Kip Cooper Norcross Academy. So the Titans pick up their third win of the season and that actually helped them finish in that 17 to 21 slot. So they will be in that regional crossover 
you know, again, not a tournament, but they, they'll get to play at least one game, usually two. Those two, whoever loses that first game will try to play the, you know, the loser of the other, other game. Games. Yeah. So they'll go to Manville on Thursday night. So the Titans uh, pick up their third win. I feel like there's like a red phone in some office at Kip Academy that's just like ringing with like a short team. That's like, we need a game. They do have one win this season, Kip. They did beat Wildwood 12-6, I believe. So, hey, man, small school football. Sometimes it ain't pretty all the time, but you get out there and they get it done. So the Titans pick up their third win, and that wraps up all of the week eight games. Man, that was like – I knew that was going to take a while to sort through, but it was worth it because – Man, like a lot happened. And I knew like I can usually tell what the podcast is looking like by like how long it takes me to do the scoreboard on like Friday night. And this was one of those, which was like a bummer for me because man, I got this a game store from this epic game to write. Meanwhile, there's all these other like heart-stopping games that occurred. So it was one of those weekends and uh kind of wrote on Twitter, like, what a night of high school football. Like, this is why we do it. And it's like why everyone, the coaches, the players, like us as media, like that's what makes it extremely fun and exciting to just be a part of uh, no matter in, in whatever aspect that is. So it, it was fun. And now we get, you know, even more high stakes football with the Donovan RBC game and then all the playoff games. So the playoff stuff we'll touch on in a separate podcast. We'll have previews for each section. Uh, so we'll run, we'll have those on the website sometime on Wednesday. We will, uh, we'll run through all the central Jersey, you know, brackets in one post, kind of some quick hitters, on what to look for, do that for South Jersey, and we definitely won't forget Middletown North in North 2, Group 4. So real quick, though, we got to talk about the game of the week in Week 9, number one Donovan Catholic at number two Red Bank Catholic. For all intents and purposes, the short conference championship game, if you want to look at it from that regard, the American Division championship game, like literally. So what do you think? <laughs> the last couple of times these teams have played, it's been pretty like low-scoring, defensive, mm-hmm. slugfest-type games. Uh, which certainly could be the case again this week. I think RBC has to come in feeling really good about the state of their offense. You put 35 points on Tom's River North. You, you got to feel good about where your offense is at. Frankie Williams coming off that game. We look at the comparative scores, right? RBC needed to score with two seconds left to beat Tom's River North in overtime, whereas Donovan Catholic beat Tom's River North 21-7 in regulation, although that was, what, a 7-7 game. Yeah, I think the, like the Najee Calhoun's go-ahead touchdown was about three minutes left. So, right. yeah, it was – both games were – where Donovan, though, they had to do it where North had Micah four for mostly you know, yes. the entire game. So, it, it, two completely – having been at both two completely different wins the way they went about, if you look at it from a term of like, you know, one team's rushing offense versus another one's defense and passing versus passing defense and, and vice versa, you know, RBC showed that if they can't run the ball, which is very hard to do against that Donovan Catholic front, like they're just fine because they did not just line it up and run it at North at all. Like Frankie Williams had by far their most rushing yards and that's on scrambles. I, I can't remember too many of those being designed runs. And then Emmanuel Ross ran for 63 yards. And obviously he's a wide out. So that's not just handed off to your running back. So RBC was able to create yards in the running game, but it wasn't with the typical turnaround handed off to either Luke Wasif, Matt Lonzak, or Jamie Gutridge. So I think that's encouraging for RBC. They can manufacture the run game in different ways outside of just the tailback. And their passing game was incredible against a very good secondary, which Donovan also has a really good secondary and a pass rush. But when you have Emmanuel Ross, like, <laughs> 
anything that's, is possible. And Frankie Williams showed he could rise. If I'm an field. RBC fan, what really makes me think that we can take this game because if it's kind of all things even in certain areas, Ross can just go up and make plays like over two or three guys or yeah. along the sideline or whatever that can swing the whole game at crucial times. Uh, I mean, that guy for Donovan's really been Najee Calhoun, right? You can feel like mm-hmm. you stopped them, you stopped them, you stopped them. And then he makes one cut or you, you know, you overrun a play and bang, like he's gone for 50 yards touchdown. Yeah. So I and think, then, uh, you know, yes. Michael Thomas, it's been a little quiet the past couple of weeks, but he, I'm sure, you know, he's heard plenty about Ross here the past couple of weeks. He wants to make his presence felt. Well, and you know he's there. Like, he has the ability to make yes. those same type of game-breaking play. So, it, it you know, he hasn't done it to that level. The stats and, and whatnot aren't the same, but it the capability is certainly still there. So, it, it's very interesting matchup. You know, they, they've played some great games, you know, in recent years. Uh, defensively, you know Donovan head coach Dan Curcion is going to scheme up something. He did it. He's done it against numerous opponents. You saw him do it against Tom's River North. Uh, you know, we'll see if Donovan can go out and execute it. And again, you you want to go back to Ross because even if you scheme up the perfect game plan, he could just go make a play where it's just winning a physical battle. Um, and that stuff is will beat the scheme every time. Yeah, so that's what I mean. It's like I don't know as a coach on the other side, like what you would say to 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 stop some of these Ross plays, like, you know, bring a two by four on the field and like hit them in the stomach with it when the ball's in the air, you know, well, like- it'd be interesting to me to see if they do, they just completely roll coverage that way. Cause other teams have done that and made sure Ross doesn't kill them. Now with North, it was different because you had an elite cover corner and three council who now Monday was on him all game, but like he was on him and like made some plays too. It's just Ross just made, Williams made some incredible throws and Ross made some incredible catches where like, you're not faulting counsel. It's just Ross made tremendous plays. And so how does Donovan approach that? I can't imagine they're going to put, and they don't have anyone to put one-on-one. Uh, I think their other like thing that. though is, yeah, we want to make him repeat that. It, like have to put the ball in the perfect spot, have yes. to make Ross make the perfect mm-hmm. catch. It's true. And make then, him do hey, it. if he can do it, like you tip your hat to him and say, okay, you know, but we force you to, you know, make really difficult throws under duress and put them in an exact perfect spot. And if you didn't, we will take advantage of that. Um, yeah. And they, they, you know, the question too is, can they run the ball consistently on RBC? And will Todd Lamberson, if it's third and seven, you know, hurt them down the field, make a big throw to, because don't forget, they also have a uh, Jarena as another receiver. Yes. Who's Daniel Jarena's played really well for them. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, it's not like, oh, if Michael Thomas doesn't have 10 catches, like we're in trouble. It's like, no, they got other guys who can get open deep downfield. I mean, they, they, and they've seen it all, you know, both of these teams so battle tested from their schedule. There's nothing that's going to, you know, shock them about the the physical nature up front or the size of anybody. That's not, I mean, I will say if Zaire Day for some reason cannot go because of would be a massive game, loss, that would be huge. Because he's like an immovable object in the middle of that line that gets a stalemate or gets upfield against the run game and makes it really difficult to move them off the ball. And on the offensive side, he's a tight end. I know he's in catch. He's got like a couple touchdown catches this year, but like you're adding another physical force in the running game, essentially an additional offensive lineman. So yeah, they need him, certainly. 
on both sides. Of the I think ball. on you paper, know? sometimes you go, oh, does, you know, Donovan have enough offense? But Donovan's defense has been so nasty. They've shown, like, mm-hmm. we'll beat you, like, 14 to 7. Yeah. You know? Oh, this, is a, this is a heavyweight showdown, just like it was, you know, this past Friday with RBC and Tom's over north. So we, we get another one. And uh, it's interesting. We've been talking about this for a couple of weeks. It, you know, it's the first round of the playoffs. This is by far the biggest game yeah. on the schedule. Sorry, public school the teams. Whole like you're, yeah, uh, so. you're kind of second best this week. It's it's going to be an awesome one. I'll be there on Friday night at Camp Basie. So uh, looking forward to it. Uh, the Jets and Notre Dame had a bye. So I had a nice relaxing weekend in terms of how that went. Uh, the Wildcats, I know, was a. Well, our offense was on a bye week this week. <laughs> I was um, going to say the offense is on the side of a milk carton. Just when, uh, just when I thought it was the ugliest, most awful Big Ten game ever, losing to Nebraska, it stinks because Ben Bryan, our starting quarterback, is still out with a shoulder injury, and his backup Sullivan is not like an FBS quarterback. Like he's got to be yeah. the worst Power Five quarterback. It's a like, tough team, so it's a tough situation. But. Uh, I'm like, that's got to be the most awful guy. Like, like, like Newt Rockney is screaming from beyond the grave <laughs> from this game. But then middle Minnesota and Iowa play a 12 to 10, like clunker in which Iowa. Ryan Ferentz on the hot seat, man. Oh my God. That was horrible. Yeah. College but, football was kind of wild. You had uh, Alabama come back and meet in Tennessee, you know, Rutgers gets its six win ball. Eligible. Yeah. They're starting to look like the, like that's what Rutgers wanted to look like again under Shiano, you know, the second tenure. And they're starting to look like that. Like they're just, they are so good defensively. They play so physical. They force turnovers. Like their special teams are really good. Again, Kyle Manungai has been awesome at them for running back. They just need some little bit more consistency out of Gavin Wimsett. And like, they're, they're a solid team in the big Ten, which they haven't been in recent years. So Shiano's did a great job. I just always know the high school coaches in the state loved him. Because they're like, and they still do because they're like, we trust him. We know if we send our kid there, like, he's going to get a fair shot. He might not play. It might not work out the way they thought, but he's going to get a fair shot and, like, treated well. And, like, if you're good enough, like, they've proven they send guys to the NFL. Especially if you're, like, a defensive back or, like, a running back. Like, you're going to have a good shot. I felt like this year was a real, like, turn the corner for season where they kind of had to make a bowl game. Mm-hmm. Like, it was not the it was not going to be good having to make excuses if they were only, like, a five-win team again and it didn't happen for them. So that Indiana game, they had to absolutely – because their schedule coming up is brutal. They might not mm-hmm. win another game, like, for the rest of the regular season because it's, like, one top ten team after another um, in that division. But, like – they uh yeah that was crucial for them that was uh that they had to have that game and i think it's what their first bowl game their first real bowl game they had that other one where they like filled in for that other team yeah. at the last second which was like what are you doing but i think the 2014 or something was like their last time in a in a bowl game so that's a good uh you know tangible progress for them which they have to have that for recruiting and all that kind of stuff um you know, especially as the Big Ten becomes so top heavy with Penn State and Ohio State and Michigan, like there's opportunity for the lower level teams to get wins and get bowl games. So they've taken advantage of that. And yesterday, I was joking with you, we should have done the shore parlay. Kenny yeah. Pickett scored a touchdown for the Steelers. They pull out the win. He played well in that game. Mm-hmm. And then uh Southern Regional's own Mike Gesicki, the basically the walk-off with a handful of seconds left for the Patriots to beat the bills. I just love that. And two, not only two like short conference, legendary players, but two like great guys. Like I say, they're not kids anymore, obviously, but 
like great guys were always super great to talk to like after game. So on that note, like Austin to see them having success. I just love Kasiki too, like leaning into his like ridiculed gritty. His terrible like, dancing. Like, like nationally, people are like, man, don't do that anymore. Eh, the whole country be like, yeah, you can't do that, man. It's pretty terrible. And he's like, nope, still going to hit it after. Like, I love that. And the so, whole uh, and the whole team starts doing that like awkward gritty <laughs> like after he gets it. Now, granted, I never want to see the Patriots or their fans happy about anything, but I'll make an exception here for Gesicki because you're exactly. right; he's one and of the also great as ones. Jets fans, and they like, beat we the Bills. Needed that. Yeah, they bring the Bills back to the pack a little bit more in the AFC yeah. East, so we like to shout see out that. to them and shout out to the Eagles. Was rooting, rooting hard yes. for them. With the nice those Kelly Green jerseys look great. Yeah, by the way, but there was that another game. The last one because. We're already up over like 90 minutes here. So we'll wrap this thing up. Uh, I've watched, I've been watching a lot more like Utah football over the last handful of years because A, they're on like at night. And our old colleague from the Asbury Park Press, Josh Newman, you know, has been covering them for the last handful of years. So I've kind of just ended up reading more of their stories. They're a fun team, man. Like Kyle Whittingham is one of the most underrated coaches in America. They just find a way. They beat USC with USC's like LOL defense, like yeah. at the end. And Kyle Whittingham led in the all-time quote, too. I don't know if you saw that, where I don't remember Utah's quarterback's name off the top of my head, but he's in there playing for Cam Rising. He oh, was their Bryson? And end up being out the whole year. Yeah. Bryson Barnes, is it? Yeah, Bryson so, Barnes. So Whittingham was like, and I'm paraphrasing here, was talking about Caleb Williams. Was like, yeah, like they have a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback, so like this is what it is. Like he, They're going to do their thing, but like, our, we have like a pig farmer at quarterback like, and we're proud of him too. And it's like, incredible. that's right. Cause he's from like rural Utah yes. and he walked onto the team. Just outstanding. So it's very know, funny Utah. to me that they have all the flesh recruits and like the big names and whatever. And then Utah just keeps beating them over They're and like, over missed, like Charlotte's web at quarterback, just like running for like 30 yards to put them in field goal range. So yeah, that, that was fun to see. So, all right. Like I said, we'll wrap it there because we have been talking. We could probably talk for longer. So that's well. This weekend was crazy. Cut I mean, it now. It was a lot to. It was a lot to uh, yeah. unpack from short conference football. From from a lot of things. So we'll cut it right there. We will. Uh, we'll be back. Uh, no varsity Lynn coaches corner from pretty much the rest of the way. We might pop in one with one late in the season, but uh, playoff time. I'm going to give the coaches a break. We've kind of talked to. Those are the guys we've wanted so far. We'll be back uh, later on. Probably look for it later on Wednesday. Um, Preview playoff podcast. We'll also have all that stuff on shoresportsnetwork.com. Of course, head there for all the news and notes about Shore Conference Football Players of the Week, the updated Shore 16 rankings, the whole nine yards, you know, the full schedules updated with all the playoff games and times and consolation games and all that fun stuff and team pages and standings and all that stuff to dive into. So head there and uh, we will talk to everybody uh, in a couple of days. So it was a good one, Scott, a good weekend. And uh, I'm sure there'll be plenty more coming up. Playoff season, baby. Here it is. All right. We're out. Take care.